Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday night. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. You can always get me at Rich Valdez with an S at the end on any of the social media. And a couple of things I want to get into today. Uh, President Biden has unveiled a New Deal-style American Climate Corps to uh, spend more taxpayer dollars in the name of climate craziness. We're going to jump into that in a little bit. Uh, Also, the um, Attorney General of the United States, he can't recollect contact with the FBI about the Hunter probe. He can't recollect contact with the FBI about January 6th and undercover agents dressed as Trump supporters. It seems like there's a whole lot of many things that he can't remember. Uh, We're also going to jump into the economy because... I want to know, is Bidenomics working? From where I stand, it seems like no. And, you know, what's interesting about doing a program like this is that every now and again you get some criticism, and I I appreciate the criticism. I give criticism all day. That's what I do here, so I give it and I can take it. But when people call the program and disagree with me and ask me for my opinion on something, I give them my opinion. And this is an opinion show, after all. And I'm always uh, just, you know, disappointed, not surprised, when people say, well, you're a propagandist. Because I didn't agree with you, I'm not a <laughs> I'm a propagandist because I don't agree with you or because I have a different view of things. Uh, I got to tell you, you know, you have the International Criminal Court that says that um, President Putin is a war criminal, right? And he's wanted. He's a wanted man. Now, again, I don't know how much credence you put in the International Criminal Court. I know I don't. I don't need the International Criminal Court, the ICC, to tell me that Putin is a war criminal and, and a terrible guy. But that does not mean that I think Volodymyr Zelensky is a great guy. I think you can have two guys that are D-bags. That's just my opinion. And I believe that to be true. And I think that Putin is operated by him and his oligarchs and what he's got to do there. And I believe that Zelensky is operated by the Americans, whether it's the CIA or anybody else, right? We have a tremendous amount of influence there. So it doesn't mean that we're always the good guys. And that's just a fact. That's point blank. That's just how it is. But for anybody to suggest that Ukraine does not have a right to be a sovereign nation, I have to disagree. And again, this wasn't even something I was planning on talking about, but I was scrolling through Twitter on the way here. And one of the callers last night uh, sent me a note on Twitter 
I didn't have a chance to respond there, so I'm going to respond here. And I'll, and I'll say that just because I don't agree with you, because I don't support uh, Vladimir Putin, doesn't mean that I, uh, I'm, I'm a propagandist, right? <laughs> I, just, I just can't see how you make the correlation. The bottom line is I don't believe that Putin is a good guy. Now, just because Putin is an expert at putting out propaganda where he makes his case to the American people through all sorts of websites and news reports and whatever, you know, I mean, that's how propaganda works, right? You, you get yourself somebody that will spew what you want them to spew, and they do it. Uh, I thank God that I'm independent. Nobody tells me what to say. I say what I want and how I want to say it, and I do. Those are my opinions, and if they change, they'll change, and I'll tell you that they've changed. But I'm not going to sit here and say that I, because I believe that the CIA and, and the Ukrainians uh, colluded to put bioweapons labs on the border of Ukraine, that somehow that equates to Putin being allowed to go and take uh, not only Crimea, which he took in 2014, but to go and take um, uh, the, uh, the Luhansk uh, area that he's overtaken now and the rest of the parts that he wants to take, not to mention the carnage. So uh, to me, it, one has nothing to do with the other. And again, I'm not saying that that was the case. I know there were some sort of laboratories there. I don't know that they were bioweapons laboratories. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I haven't seen any proof to, uh, to, to prove that they were. But even if that were the case, and everybody wants to make this argument, and we've had this discussion time and time again on this program about, oh, what about the Cuban Missile Crisis when the Russians put the missiles in Cuba? Kennedy was going to go to war. Listen, I can't sit here and go to war if my neighbor buys guns and they're pointed at my house. I, I just can't, right? I got to get my own guns and be ready. That's just the bottom line. That's just how it works. And then I can't go and say, well, because my neighbor had guns and I thought they were pointed at me, I decided to uh, take his house. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. At least in my world, it doesn't work that way. So I just wanted to put that out there. Now, Attorney General Merrick Garland, he was on the stand today. He's in the hot seat. He's on Capitol Hill. And he's answering questions because the Congressional uh, Oversight Committee and the Judiciary Committee and a bunch of a lot of committees, they have a lot of questions for him. They want to know what's going on, what was going on with everything um, leading into all these investigations. And how is it that you claim that you don't recollect anything or know anything? Well, that's exactly what he does. And this is what lawyers do. And I'm not trashing all lawyers. I'm trashing one in, in particular, a specific lawyer, Merrick Garland, right? The guy that was nominated for the Supreme Court and didn't make it. Well, he was at a hearing today and he says, well, we apply the same laws to everyone and I don't work for Biden. And listen, I want to believe that. I do want to believe that because I, I think to myself, if I had a job like that, as partisan as I am, would I be fair? And I think I would be as fair as I can be, right? As fair as I know how to be, but I can never abandon what I believe. So I think it comes with a grain of salt when you look at these things. I think Merrick Garland is lying. I think he's not telling the truth. And I don't think that he would do things fairly according to the Constitution under the rule of law. I think he's doing things specifically to advance his own political agenda, which is directly connected to that of Joe El Baboso Biden. But I'm going to play the tape and you decide. Listen to this. And our job is to uphold the rule of law. That means we apply the same laws to everyone. There is not one set of laws for the powerful and another for the powerless, one for the rich and another for the poor, one for Democrats and another for Republicans, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity or religion. Our job is to pursue justice without fear or favor. Our job is not to do what is politically convenient. Our job is not to take orders from the president from Congress 
or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. The Justice Department works for the American people. Our job is to follow the facts and the law, and that is what we do. Well, I would say you're lying, sir, because I believe that that is your job, and I think all Americans believe that is the job of an attorney general. However, it seems that you haven't prosecuted any Democrats. You haven't done anything to anybody. The investigation into Hunter Biden seems to be a a, a very, very um, whimsical affair. Nobody cares to see that the Oversight Committee is finding all sorts of uh, questionable facts about Joe Biden, and they keep finding more and more information, 20 shell accounts, millions of dollars from all different places, contradicting media reports, all sorts of things. And yet the Department of Justice has zero interest in that. And I'm sure that when Congress makes a criminal referral, he'll say the same thing. We are not the prosecutor for Congress. We know what the job is. The question is, are you doing the job? And Jim Jordan today put him under pressure and asked those very questions. Listen to this. Have you or are you investigating who leaked the information that appeared in The Washington Post on October 6, 2022, about this investigation, about the Hunter Biden investigation? You're saying there was an October 2022. Uh, October 6, 2022, Washington Post writes a story about the Hunter Biden investigation. I'm just, I wonder, if you investigated who leaked that information to the Washington Post? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Has it been, has it, has it been referred to the uh, uh, Inspector General? Do you know that? Um, um, I don't want my answer to suggest that there is or isn't such an investigation. I know that the. Um, um, uh, that the um, so, uh, inspector general sent a letter to Congress explaining uh, that there was that he had an ongoing assessment with respect to the whistleblower's charges. I don't know if that's what you're referring to. Time the gentleman's expired. So it seems like he doesn't really know anything. It's right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't suggest. I don't know. What is it that you know, sir? What is it that you know? We're going to continue to dig into this and uh, play some more audio from that throughout the night. Of course, we welcome your calls, 833-482-5337. But right now, I want to jump into a conversation on Bidenomics because there's so much to discuss about the American economy and the lack of effort, intelligence, effort. Uh, can I say effort again? <laughs> effort to, to make this economy even better. And uh, we need it. We need that. And Joe El Baboso Biden is definitely not the guy. So we're going to get into that with uh, former White House economist Steve Moore straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So Merrick Garland doesn't know anything about anything, but here's something that I know. America's national debt has surpassed $33 trillion for the first time in United States history. Crazy, right? The U.S. gross national debt surpassed 33, I can't even say it, $33 trillion for the first time in history as the potential for a government shutdown is uh, nearing. And I, I got to say, 
I'll probably throw a little party if we shut down the government. I think things are always better when we shut down the government. That's just me. Maybe I'm a cynic. But somebody who knows the ins and outs of this is somebody who was uh, an economic advisor to President Ronald Reagan, somebody who was in the the Trump White House as the uh, chair of the Economic Council. Steve Moore, he's an economist. He's the head of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. He's with FreedomWorks, and he's here with us now. Steve Moore, welcome back, sir. Hey, Rich. So good to be with you. By the way, I just wanted to tell you, you know, what I – this last year, you know, the fiscal year ends in two weeks. Uh, so on October 1st, we start the new fiscal year. And we are going to probably borrow, it looks like, somewhere near $2 trillion uh, for 2023, which is an abysmal number. And wow. when I first came to Washington in 1984, the entire national debt, all of the debt we had borrowed from 1776 through 1984 was only $2 trillion. So can you believe this? We're borrowing more wow. money in one year than we did for the first, what, 120 years of our country. I mean, it's well, amazing. That's what well, Joe Biden would say about Bidenomics. It's working. <laughs> I think he's crazy. <laughs> Steve Moore, I mean, putting that in perspective the way you just did that, you know, when you were there, and again, you're not that old. I mean, you're, you're alive. Right? So it wasn't that long ago. The fact that it was $2 trillion when you moved there. Uh, not that long ago, and that we're, we are where we are now, just borrowing to get through, is is incredible to me. And it makes me think, do my kids have a shot in life? That's the question. It really is, because we are, you know, the, the analogy I like to use, Rich, you know, everyone knows this borrowing is completely um, uh, irresponsible, and everyone knows it. You can't do that in your personal life. <laughs> you can't run up your credit card month after month after not. month. And think that 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 story is going to have a happy ending. And so, you know, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, libertarian, everyone knows it's wrong. Uh, and yet we continue to do it. And by the way, I'm not going to blame any one party because both parties are responsible for this. Sure. Now, Biden is the, is the most irresponsible president financially in American history. But nonetheless, you know, we borrowed. And I worked for Donald Trump. I thought he was a great president in so many ways. But he even he spent way too much money. So uh, it is just. I, I am stunned that, like, let me put it like this, folks. This is a five alarm fire. <laughs> this, is the, this is a serious thing we're talking about. And if we continue to allow this to happen, and we don't, that's why when you said, I was smiling and said, if it takes maybe shutting down that government for a few weeks, I'm not in favor of that. But if that's what it takes to get some semblance of a rational budget, then I'm for it. Steve Moore. Um, th- this idea that we're at $33 trillion, um, it- it's a, it's a, like you said, it's a five alarm fire. I'm definitely alarmed by it because it makes me think we- we're either headed toward insolvency or, I don't know, hyperinflation, the end of the world, Mad Max scenario. Uh, am I being an alarmist to think that way or should I um, temper my expectations? What do you say? Well, you know, it's so interesting because the numbers have gotten so big right now. I think people have become almost enough size to them. You know, sure. nobody can tell the difference between a million, a billion, a trillion. I mean, these numbers are ungodly large. I mean, if I told you, you know, we were wasting uh, $100,000, you'd say, oh, my God, that's a lot of money. Well, we, you know, the government um, had $100 billion of fraud in these COVID programs. And yet the numbers are so big, we can't even comprehend them. Right? I mean, right. there's just when I, when I mentioned a trillion, you know, do you know how many zeros there are in a trillion? Rich, there's uh, 12. More than 12 15. Zeros. Oh, 12. Okay, there you go. Look, that's <laughs> why so I do radio, because you know, I don't do math. <laughs> and 
I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, if I sound frustrated right now, I am. Because even the difference, you know, if the Republicans pass their budget in the next 10 years, we'll only borrow $7 trillion, not $10 trillion. I mean, so, right. you know, what are we talking about here? Now, I happen to think that the Republicans are doing a pretty good job of at least at least the budget they're putting out in 10 years would make, if, you know, if we put in place all these reforms, it would make it to a balanced budget. That's a long time from now, by the way, 10 years. It shouldn't take 10 years to do it. That's what I'm thinking. Under Biden's budget, we borrow two trillion dollars now, till forever. What was it, Bud Light, Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond? Right. Well, Steve Moore, it makes me question: Why do we? And I guess it's government speak, but why do we create these plans that are like we're going to phase this in or phase this out over the next ten years? And I guess it's more palatable and it seems more political. But why don't we ever deal with the problem that there is? Like, why, why are we not passing a a real balanced budget? Yeah. So here's, here's the thing. And I I bet this is going to shock a lot of your listeners. And I didn't believe it to be true until I looked up the numbers. And this this is a number uh, that comes from my friend, Rand Paul, you know, Senator Rand Paul is one of my favorite senators. And so he gave a speech on the Senate floor the other day saying, you know, if we really wanted to balance the budget, are you ready for this, Rich? All we would need to do you just go back to spending what the amount of money we were spending before COVID. You know, go back to what we were spending right. in 2019 before we spent all these trillions of dollars, you know, on the COVID emergency. And I said, oh, that can't possibly be right, you know. But I looked up the numbers, and he was right. So let's make this simple, folks. Let's just go back to what we were spending, you know, when the economy was booming under Trump, and go back to spending what we were then, four years ago, and not have these massive multiplier effects of the budget. And we would be back on a sane course of action. So, yeah, this could be done. It can be done. But I don't think there's anybody in Washington who has the will to do it. It's a sad time in Washington, Steve Moore. Now, the the idea, and we probably have less than a minute to go, uh, so we can carry the conversation over if we need to. But uh, ultimately, I feel that we, we've gotten, like you said, the way we're anesthetized to these astronomical numbers, I feel like we're also right. anesthetized to passing a balanced budget. Hasn't happened in forever. And all we do is pass continuing resolutions. And I feel like th- that should be the exception, not the rule, but it's become yeah. the rule. Yeah. And you know what we're going to get this year? We're going to get, uh, you know, probably uh, three or four of these continuing resolutions, which is just like a temporary stopgap to fund the uh, budget for a few weeks. I think this is going to go on at least until Christmas. And uh, so it, it, there's going to be some real fireworks going on here. And I'm for whichever, you know, cuts the budget the most. We got to take a chainsaw out of this budget, folks. Six trillion dollars is a lot of money. And we don't need to be spending three hundred and eighty billion dollars on a green energy slush fund. We, how about getting back some of the money that was stolen from all these programs? You know, how about putting a cap on spending? All these things make a lot of sense to me. Folks, we're on with Steve Moore, former White House economist for Reagan and Trump. And we're going to continue our discussion. We're going to find out what's going on with this late night deal to uh, pass a continuing resolution. And will we have a government shutdown next week? We're going to find out more straight ahead. Stick with us. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I think we're making some progress. We made some progress last night. Uh, look, it's not September 30th. The game is not over, so we continue to work through it. And uh, I've been at this place many times before, and we're going to solve this problem. Voting against the rule, there's no rationale for that. You're saying the bill can't come forward. This is our armed services. This is our Department of Defense. That number was never going to change. The members are down there working through the different ones, so we'll figure it out. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy uh, saying we're going to fix this. We're going to get to the bottom of it. I appreciate his optimism. I wish I shared it. Steve Moore is our guest, former White House economist. Uh, He's in charge of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. You know him from FreedomWorks, and he's here with us now. Steve Moore, when you hear Speaker of the House McCarthy say we're going to get through this and we're going to fix it, meanwhile, there's all this infighting that's going on. Uh, What's your initial reaction to that? Well, I can't tell you how many times I've been to this movie before. Rich, you know, as I mentioned, I, I arrived in Washington in 1984, and I've seen this probably. You know, we've we over the last uh, 40 years, we've had someone in the neighborhood of 20 government shutdowns. So this is not anything too new. Uh, it's a lot of theatrics. Uh, you know, it's it, if we have to have a shutdown, it's only non-essential activities. By the way, why is an institution that's losing two trillion dollars a year spending so much money on non-essential services? Yeah, great question. <laughs> I mean, maybe we don't need these, these non-essential services. You know, a company, you know, that was going bankrupt would start to cut things that it doesn't need. And we, we never do that in Washington. I wanted to mention something that I forgot to mention in our first segment, which is, sure. do you know what the fastest growing element of the budget is? That, that the line item in the budget that is growing the fastest right now? I would bet it's not military spending. It is. <laughs> that's probably growing the slowest. It's interest payments on the debt. Wow. So we're paying more and more and more money every year, not for roads, not for bridges, not for tanks, not for our military, not for schools, but just to pay the interest on the debt we're spending. We already did. And wow. Rich, think about this. Every time the Fed raises those interest rates and they've done it 11 times this last you know 14 months or so, that just makes it more and more and more and more expensive for the government to borrow. Who is the biggest borrower in the world? The United States government is. So these higher interest rates, we're becoming like a tiger trying to chase its tail. We can't, you know, the more the the interest rates go up because the more we borrow, then we are spending more and more money just to pay the interest on the debt. Again, folks, this is a five alarm fire. We have got to do something about this. or We're going to face a real financial crisis in this country. Presuming we get to the 30th of September and yep. we don't have an agreement and we do shut down the government, 
Right away, I believe the Democrats, I've seen this movie a couple of times, too, and they always <laughs> right. go, uh, there's no more Social Security, the Army, this right. and that, right, and everybody's right. freaking out. Um, why does that always work when it's not necessarily uh, true? Yeah. By the way, Rich, uh, so funny you should bring that up, because just today the White House put out the shameful statement, saying, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, you know, orphanages are going to have to close, and kittens are going to die, and... You know, people aren't going to get their social checks. And, of course, it's all just jargon uh, and made up. But, um, you know, look, I don't think this is the best way to deal with this crisis. I don't want to see a shutdown of government activities. But it it seems to me that's the only time we ever get a deal that's worth the paper that it's written on and, and where we actually are able to, you know, cut some government spending. I mean, Remember, the only time in your and my lifetime that we've balanced the budget was when of all people, you know who the president was? Bill Clinton. And yeah. I don't know if you remember what happened, but Newt Gingrich was the speaker and they sure. had yeah. multiple, multiple shutdowns of the government. But finally, they reached a deal. And I, you know, I'll give Clinton and Newt a lot of credit. And we actually ended up balancing the budget because they cut some spending. Uh, I don't know if they're capable of doing that today. And the Democratic Party... I mean, Bill Clinton wouldn't even be a Democrat today. I mean, he did the, you know, welfare reform and other reforms and cut government spending. These Democrats, Rich, do you know what? Have you ever heard of the term modern monetary theory? Have you heard of that? Oh yeah, this is um, quantitative easing and all that crazy. Yes, yes, it's this ding that idea that some crazy economists came up with about ten years ago. We used to all laugh about it, which was basically, and I'm not making this up. Stuff. These are, you know, professors of economics who said the United States government, because we're the world reserve currency, we can just borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow as much as we want, and it won't have a negative effect. Now, that's a laughable proposition, but that's exactly what Biden is doing, isn't it? Well, yeah, and I think Democrats have done it historically, and and some Republicans, of course. And to me, I, I I liken it to a house of cards, and they've built this house of cards. But literally, you can knock down a house of cards with a good sneeze, with an elbow while you're passing in the hallway. And I feel like that's how our economy is. And, and that's the alarming part for me, where how do you really amass wealth? How do you really fight inflation if they're, you know, they're saying it's coming down a little bit every month while they're raising interest rates? And again, uh, I remember that stuff as a kid, but I didn't live through it as, as an adult. And all I can think of is, you know, I have a kid that's 18, a kid that's 22. And what is life going to be like for them? How are they going to own property? How are they going to amass wealth? How are they going to move forward in life? With, with people that subscribe to these Keynesian economic ideas like modern monetary theory and all the rest of the crazy uh, that are in charge? Well, I call what we're doing in Washington today uh, fiscal child abuse, and that's really what it is because you and I, you know, you and I, Rich, we're not going to pay this debt off. <laughs> it's right. not going to be you and me. It's going to be our kids and our grandkids. And what kind of great country does this? You know, we want to continue to be the world. For the last 100 years, the United States has been the only real economic superpower. And I want to make sure for the next 50 or 100 years, the United States continues to be that, you know, world economic leader. But we're not going to do it if we owe all this money to China and all these other countries. I'm speechless because I think to myself, we're we're on the cusp of of losing. um, Well, I guess we've we've lost a lot, but we're on the cusp of losing because we are the the world reserve currency. And I feel like 
you know, there's days where I speak with people and they tell me, well, you know, no, we're, we're good. The BRICS thing isn't really a, a real threat. Then there's other days where I think, you know, there's another 20 countries joining the BRICS uh, consortium and maybe there is a threat to our, our status as the world reserve currency. What's your thought on that? Well, the only, the only reason I don't think that's going to happen because I hate to say that, Rich, but these other countries are even worse than we are. I mean, <laughs> you know, what you have an explosion of government all over the world. And it's happening in every country from Argentina to China to India, all over. And, you know, freedom and the free enterprise system, which is what creates the wealth and the high living standards in the first place, is very much in jeopardy right now. And you need someone like a Ronald Reagan. I mean, one of the reasons Reagan was one of our greatest presidents was he restored the American economy. And, and when we got it right in the United States, guess what? The rest of the world started getting it right. But we've got a president now, he, he, you know, he doesn't care about the debt. He cares about climate change. <laughs> Every conversation is about climate change, not doing something about the bankrupting of our country. It's absolutely crazy to me. Steve Moore, stick with us. I want to continue our conversation and talk about this pause on interest rate hikes uh, for, for September, at least, and what your predictions are on that as we uh, kind of a unpack a little bit on what's going on with inflation. Folks, we're on with Steve Moore, former White House economist. He's with the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and he's with us for another segment. So stick with us. If you have a call, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. decided at today's meeting to maintain the target range for the federal funds rate at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. We're prepared to raise rates further if appropriate, and we intend to hold policy at a restrictive level until we're confident that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our objective. Of course, that uh, somber voice belongs to the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, bringing us great news. No interest rate right now, but just wait. There's more. Steve Moore, what do you think? Well, the Fed has raised interest rates 11 times. The, um, the uh, you know, mortgage rate, for example, which is related to these um, Fed uh, fund rates, you know, it was 2.9 percent for a mortgage when Trump left office. And now the mortgage rate has risen to 7.2%. So that is a little indication of the negative effects of all of this massive $6 trillion spending binge that was launched by Biden. Uh, I think that the Fed, um, look, I don't think we've won this fight against inflation. I bet most of the people listening to your show would agree with me. When I, uh, you know, I I just had one of your listeners uh, just text me saying, you know, why do you always say inflation is only 4%? I said, well, that's what the official number is. But most people think the real inflation rate that they're, you know, when you go to your grocery store, when you fill up your tank, when you have to pay your mortgage or your rent, when you have to pay your utility bill, 
I don't know about you, Rich. My wife took me to, she dragged me to the grocery store this weekend and said, Steve, you have no idea what things cost. And I, oh, went yeah. to, I couldn't believe what Rice Krispies cost, what a, you know, a pound of ground beef costs, what a dozen eggs cost. I mean, these prices are way, way up, in some cases double. And right. so uh, I think people are feeling a real financial pinch right now, don't you, Rich? We're in really tough shape, in my opinion. And the yeah. fact that, you know, there's been a little bit of um, of upkeep with with wages has kind of softened the blow, but not enough. And people, I think, are no. still reaching for more. Steve Moore, I want to jump right. onto a, a call really quick, if you don't mind, w- w- from John in St. Cloud, Minnesota, KNSI. He's got a question for you. John, you're on with Steve Moore and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. I think I know where John Maynard Keynes went wrong. Mm-hmm. When, uh, he did not focus on goods and services produced and the amount of goods and services as a measure of an economy's health. He fell for the mistake of the amount of financial transactions. And All right, thank you. Oh, go ahead. I'm that we're done. Go ahead. Uh, inflation very seductive. All right. Thank you, John. Steve Moore? Well, I think where John Maynard Keynes went wrong, and by the way, for those who are not economists, he was one of the most famous economists who ever lived. And he was the first economist who told politicians, goes back to FDR, you can just go and spend as much money as you want, and you don't have to worry about it. And so there's this, uh, what Keynes believed was that government spending would stimulate the economy. And I could never understand the logic of it. All government spending does, if the government spends another dollar, you know, it has to take a dollar from someone, right? I mean, there's no tooth fairy out there passing out free money. And so I think that's where Keynes was wrong. The whole concept of government spending as a stimulus is wrong because the government can only spend a dollar if it takes a dollar. Thank you, John. And Steve Moore, I think you're right. And I think this is exactly part of why we are where we are, where Biden's had uh, his, you know, uh, fetish of spending fulfilled with the American taxpayers' dollars. Uh, there was, again, like you mentioned earlier, there was a, a, a lot of spending towards the end of the Trump administration related to COVID. And w- here we are going to the grocery store and paying more than we've ever paid for anything. I Even gas is back up. I, I filled up my oh car the other day. I normally fill up at 86 bucks. I filled up at 102. And I thought, man, ah. that was just a week or something like that. A week, 10 days, something like that. I mean, we're in bad shape, Steve Moore. Yeah. Do you have affiliates in California? We do. Well, because you know what the gas price is in California right now? Bordering seven? Six, between six and seven dollars a gallon. So, I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but I mean, California pays about a dollar, dollar fifty more than the national average. But, but yeah, this is not a laughing matter. Again, you go, look, I was a Trump guy. When Trump left the presidency, the price of gas was two forty now, and now it's closing in on four fifty nine a gallon. So, you know, that I don't think that happened by accident. I think it happened because Joe Biden declared war on American energy and we're paying a price for it. And that's so true. And he's got a whole new war today that he's talking about his climate craziness. It's absolutely insane. Steve Moore, if people want to hear more about what you're doing and how they can keep in touch with you and become as smart as you by listening to you, how do they do it? <laughs> Well, I hope you're getting our Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. Every day. 
I want everybody to get it. And there's no inflation in that price because it's free. <laughs> Just, folks, if you would like to get it, go to committee to unleash prosperity.com and sign up for free. And we'll start sending it to you uh, five mornings a week for free. <laughs> Outstanding. Now, Steve Moore, were you making a point before and I cut you off? If I did, I want you to be able to finish your thought. Oh, I was just saying that I, I think this is a great country, and I still believe in, you know, as uh, as uh, I think Reagan once said, that it was divine providence that put America here as a beacon of freedom and free markets for the rest of the world. And we need to, as citizens, because we're the one who elect these people, we have to take back our government and put it on the right track. And, and I think government, America can prosper again if we just get government under control. I really believe that, Rich, and I think you do, too. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't show up, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's ultimately what I believe. Steve Moore, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I thank you for staying up late with us. I appreciate it. You too. Have a great night. Talk soon. Folks, we're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Again, that number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Let's hit the phones. Let's go with Alice in Atlanta, Georgia on WGKA. Alice, welcome back. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Um, I called in because I have never heard President Trump's campaign advertise his background in economics. He has an economics degree from the best business school in the United States, Wharton, which is at the University of Pennsylvania. He's, he understands economics, unlike the Democrats, and I really think people ought to know it. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, I know that he, uh, he studied at the Wharton School of Finance, and uh, I think it's evident by his track record in business. But again, I think it's everything's subjective. You know, I, I look at Trump and again, I'm a kid that grew up in Brooklyn and then moved to Jersey. And uh, Trump has been a staple and icon in local news, national news, as long as I've been alive. You know, before he even before I thought he was running for president, my family and I would get around the TV and we'd watch The Apprentice and we really enjoyed it. There's very few shows that I could watch with the entire family, with my children and everything. American Idol was one of them. And um, The Apprentice was another. And it, it was not because of the content as much, but because there were just few shows that my kids had an interest in. But I was able to do that. And for me, I've always been a fan of Trump's. I, I think he's great. Of course, they want to slander him every now and again and talk about bankruptcy laws and this and that. And he shortchanged the little guys that were building the casinos in New Jersey. And again, I don't mean to downplay that. Uh, I just think the story isn't accurately told all the time. But be that as it may, ultimately... Uh, I've seen Trump hit rock bottom when I was a kid, and I remember one of his most famous quotes was, if you think becoming a billionaire is hard, try doing it twice. 
And and it stuck out to me and it made me think, man, if this guy could do it twice, I've got to be able to do it at least once. <laughs> and it was inspiring to me. And again, growing up, I listened. I grew up in the golden era of hip hop in the 90s and I listened to a lot of rap and hip hop music. And I can tell you that Trump was a, uh, a staple, just a staple in so many rap videos and rap songs. He, he was always there. Everybody was talking about Trump and how successful he was and how good in business he was. So I, I feel like that's always been a given. Uh, lamentably, the media has done, um, you know, a, a, a very despicable thing to try to to dismantle him in every way possible. So it makes perfect sense to me why they would downplay his background in, in having a degree from Wharton. But uh, good point, Alice. I appreciate your call. Thanks for joining us tonight from Atlanta, Georgia on WGKA. And straight ahead, I want to get into a little bit more discussion. There's a lot going on out there. President Biden's got this new deal-style climate core that he wants to uh, suck more taxpayer dollars out of. So we're going to talk about that and what's the newest with the climate crazies. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to jump into a couple of things. I promised you I would get back to the hearing today with Merrick Garland. I'm going to do that. I also want to mention that we're going to break apart this uh, climate New Deal-styled agenda that uh, Biden's put forth, and we're going to do that momentarily. But earlier today, when Merrick Garland was in the hot seat, he was in the hot seat, and he was questioned by many members of Congress, and one of them was Representative Mike Johnson. And he wanted to know what was going on with the FBI and all of the funny business with the Hunter Biden investigation. Merrick Garland definitely uh, responded with a profound answer, the one he usually gives. Listen to this. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Uh, don't re- I, don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't, recollect, you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I, I don't believe that I did. I promised the Senate when I came um, before it for confirmation that I would leave Mr. Weiss in place and that I would not interfere with his investigation. Okay, did I you ever... Kept- I have kept that promise. All right. Sounds to me like Merrick Garland is lying and he's trying to use legalese in order to uh, protect himself. Oh, I don't recollect. I can't remember if I did that or not. I think anybody, I think if we put a six-year-old kid in front of a TV and had them watch that and say, is he lying or telling the truth? They're going to say, sounds like he's fibbing, right? How can you be the attorney general of the United States with an investigation into a member of the first family And you're not going to know who's doing what, where, and how. You've got to be kidding me. 
Either he's lying or he's grossly incompetent. I would venture to say both, but he's way too slick and slimy in order to say he's grossly incompetent. But it goes on. Mike Johnson continues his uh, questioning of Attorney General Merrick Garland. And again, he, he won't say if he spoke with David Weiss. He said, I agree to keep on Weiss. Well, guess what? Weiss is there. Some say Weiss. Um, David Weiss Weiss was the, the um, U.S. attorney for Delaware, and now he's special counsel. And Garland still doesn't know anything. Listen to this. Can you tell us about any briefings or discussions that you personally have had with Mr. Weiss regarding any and all federal investigations of Hunter Biden? I'm going to say again, I promised the Senate that I would not interfere with Mr. Weiss. So you have not, I'm just under oath today, your testimony is, you have not had any discussions with Mr. Weiss about this matter? Under oath, my testimony today is that I promised that the, uh, the Senate I would not um, intrude in his investigation. I do not intend to discuss the internal Justice Department uh, deliberations, whether or not I had them. Oh, okay. So your, your testimony today is you're not going to tell us whether you've had discussions with Mr. Weiss. My testimony today is I told the committee that I would not interfere I made clear that Mr. Weiss would have the authority to bring cases that he thought were appropriate. Okay. Mr. Weiss's right. letter. Okay, let me stop you. For, for a second time, sir. Are you aware that FBI officials have come before this committee and they have stated that there was a cumbersome bureaucratic process that Mr. Weiss had to go through to bring charges in another judicial district? You know that? I'm not aware, but that's not true. There's nothing cumbersome about the process. So those well, whistleblowers are to lying to us under oath? They're, those whistleblowers are lying. I didn't say that. Their, their description of the process cumbersome is an opinion. It's not a fact question. There he goes, being slimy and sneaky and shady, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Let me tell you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust this guy with anything. With my enemies, I wouldn't trust him. This is one shady dude. So the Attorney General Merrick Garland says he can't recall whether he spoke with anyone at the FBI headquarters about the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden, who just so happens to be the son of the president. And again, this is according to the dailywire.com. Um, Mike Johnson, congressman from Louisiana, he continues to press him on this, and he doesn't get anywhere. Now, I don't know. I want to know what you think about this, because uh, I think this is just wrong, right? And somebody should do something about it, but what can we do? I mean, can we hold an attorney general in contempt of Congress? Yes, we can. <laughs> we did it to... Uh, Attorney General Eric Holder. And what happened to him? Absolutely nothing. Nada, nada, nada. Not a damn thing. So what are we to do when the government just stands in your face and just, you know, shakes their head saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Complain all you want. We're going to do what we want anyway. All you can do is vote. That's really the only thing that's left because, again, his quote here, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Department of Justice. I'm sorry. Johnson says, you don't recollect whether you talked to anyone at the FBI headquarters about an investigation into the president's son? I don't believe that I did. How do you, how do you really expect any American to believe what this man is saying? He had lots of time to prepare for this hearing. He knew he was going to appear before Congress. He has his statements rehearsed because he's under oath. And there he is, stonewalling, saying absolutely nothing. Now, this went on, and there was uh, some discussion into radical traditional Catholics, which have been called rad trad. And this is, this is an area that I feel is very, very um, 
very, very touchy because Americans are believed to have freedom of religion. And the idea that people that are Catholic or that attend Latin mass are somehow radical traditionalists that could potentially become violent extremists and potentially aligned with Donald Trump's MAGA movement, so they have to be investigated by the Department of Justice, is crazy. But Representative Jeff Van Drew, a congressman from New Jersey who was a Democrat and became a Republican because he saw the, the horror show of what they were doing to Trump, he had some questions for Merrick Garland today. And this is a little lengthy, but I want you to hear it because I think it's worth your time. Listen to Representative Jeff Van Drew at the hearing today. Check this out. Attorney General, I need a simple yes or no to the following. Just yes or no, because we don't have much time. Do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Yes or no? Let me answer what you've said in that long list of... of, of I'll be happy to answer all of those. Attorney General, I control the time. I'm going to ask you to answer the questions I ask. You control time by asking me a substantial number of things. I I didn't ask you those things. I I made a statement. Attorney General, through the chair, I ask you, do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Answer I have no question. idea what your what the traditional uh, means here. The Catholics, idea, let Catholics me just, that go I to church. Your, may I answer your question? Yes the or idea no. that someone with my family background. So someone with family background. Again, he didn't recollect. He didn't recollect. I don't believe that I did. I don't know what traditional means. What is going on in Washington? How is it that people stand for officials like this? This guy's not some low-level lawyer. This is the man that Obama put up for the Supreme Court. Thank God he's not on the bench. And this is the man that was handpicked by Joe Biden to lead the Department of Justice. And this man can't answer a simple simple question like, are radical traditional Catholics considered violent extremists? Yes or no? Yes or no? Not even, yeah, I agree, but no or no. Just simple yes or no. He can't answer it. Let's continue. Would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, Mr. so absurd. Mr. Attorney General, it was your FBI question. that did this. It was your FBI that was sending, and we have the memos, we have the emails, we're sending undercover agents into Catholic churches. Both I and the director this of the is, FBI the, have said the that we were appalled. FBI have said that we were appalled by that memo. So then you agree that they're not extremists? We were appalled by that memo. Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? I think that... Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is Are they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no if you think that was wrong. Catholics are not extremists. No. Was anyone fired for drafting and circulating the anti-Catholic memo? You have in front of you the inspection uh, division's investigation. Just tell me yes or no, please. I don't know. We have the no answer. time. I don't know the answer to that. There's okay. Do you agree that parents attending school board meetings should be categorized? Should parents, in. should parents that go to school board meetings and are very vocal about their kids' education should be they should they be classified as domestic terrorists? Uh, of course not. And my memo made clear that vigorous objections ba- uh, to policies in schools are protected so it's no. by the First Amendment. The president this week accused you, not the president himself, his staff, and it was in the Wall Street Journal and it was leaked out, of mismanaging the Hunter-Biden probe. Do you agree? Yes or no? It was in the Wall Street Journal article. I'm not saying that. I'm sorry. Do I agree with the Wall Street Journal? Yes. And and the information they released that said you botched this probe. 
I think I've uh, uh, dealt with the uh, Hunter Biden investigation in the way I've told this. Mr. Chairman, I yield my remaining time to you. (laughs) Do you think you screwed it up, sir? I think I've dealt with it the way I've explained it. What an answer. Unbelievable. This guy is not sorry when they said, hey, it was your FBI that was uh, spying on Catholics inside of churches. He says, oh, yeah, both the the director of the FBI and I were appalled at this behavior. Listen, the only thing that this guy is sorry about is about getting caught spying on Catholics, not the fact that they did it. He's a disgrace. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Biden's got a lot of climate craziness up his sleeve, and we're going to find out all about it. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. But we also stand ready to work together with China on issues where progress hinges on our common efforts. Nowhere is that more critical than accelerating the climate crisis, than than the accelerating climate crisis. We see it everywhere. Record-breaking heat waves in the United States and China. Wildfires ravaging North America and Southern Europe, a fifth year of drought in the Horn of Africa, tragic, tragic flooding in Libya. My heart goes out to the people of Libya that's killed thousands, thousands of people. Together, these snapshots tell an urgent story of what awaits us if we fail to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and begin to climate-proof the world. For one day, For one day, my administration, the United States, has treated this crisis as an existential threat from the moment we took office, not only for us, but for all of humanity. So that's President Joe El Baboso Biden at the U.N. yesterday uh, talking about how he wants to accelerate the climate crisis, the climate crisis, and Today, he's unveiled a massive government work program to fight global warming. It's called Biden's Climate Corps. He's going to hire a very diverse generation of 20,000 Americans to tackle climate change. No work experience required. This is a piece in Fox News. And the executive order to establish a federal workforce training and service initiative as part of his administration's effort to fight climate change called American Climate Corps. And according to the White House, it's going to mobilize a new diverse generation of more than 20,000 Americans who will be trained and put to work on conservation, clean energy, and environmental justice projects. The ultimate goal of the program is to pave the way for members of the Corps to find jobs in the public and private sector. So he's going to hire them, you know, a year from Election Day, probably the biggest and most influential climate activists out there, put them on government payroll working for the White House to help him uh, get over the top on this issue and make the, make sure this issue is top of mind. Just imagine if you could do that as, as a president. Any other president would have done something where they pick an issue, a hot button issue, and then hire 20,000 people with no experience 
get them on TV, get them out in the streets, get them at rallies. You know, it, he's literally campaigning from the White House. I think they call this incumbency protection. But this is where we're at. Now, listen, I'm not going to say that we shouldn't pay attention to the environment at all. I think we should. We should pay attention to the environment. I am going to say I don't think we need to hire 20,000 people at taxpayer expense to promote his agenda, to promote his campaign. So I want to get to the bottom of that with our guest. He's the president of Heartland Institute. His name is James Taylor, and he's with us right now. James Taylor, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you for having me on, Rich. You bet. So I want to spend a little time with you, and we have a couple of segments to work through this and a couple of other issues on climate. So I want to get your take. When you hear that the president has now uh, unleashed this uh, executive order to hire 20,000 climate activists, what's your initial reaction to that? Well, the primary goal is not to combat climate change. The primary goal is to make another 20,000 people dependent on the government payroll independent on the perpetuation of the myth of a climate crisis for their income. <laughs> so this is something where you're going to make sure that you get another 20,000 people who are going to do everything possible to parrot your climate change talking points. And by the way, what's really interesting, if you go on the, the, the webpage that the government has set up where they tout this program, they list the things that these climate change, the climate change core people will do. Prominently listed, two things really jumped out at me. One, they say they're going to clear paths through forests. And two, they say they're going to install solar panels. Okay, the first one. Climate activists have long fought the uh, establishment of roads through forests or paths through forests that people can use to fight wildfires. They say everything has to be left in its natural source. So now here's this 180 about face where they want to clear a path. Well, that would be great. Just make sure you pay them so that we can fight the wildfires that do occur. Secondly, installing solar panels, he's going to get a lot of pushback from the labor unions when you have these people that are hired, these fresh out of college kids with no skills. One, it's going to be dangerous to have them installing solar panels. Two, what's going to happen to the workers right now who are already being subsidized and dependent on the government for their jobs? He's just setting himself up for disaster. Yeah, I, I can't say I disagree with you because I, I really do agree. I think you're you're right on track here. And I feel like not only are they going to end up being activists in the media promoting this agenda uh, and creating more alarmism, uh, but they're also uh, going to have support from another arm of the Democrat Party, the, the left within the media. And I feel like the media plays such an interesting role in this because they're not really objective bystanders, just as much as I'm not objective, right? I disagree with this. I'm, I'm on the record saying I disagree with this. But they come across as impartial journalists bringing you the truth, bringing you the news, and yet they're really in the tank for this agenda. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. So you have organizations like Reuters and the Associated Press and many others that are receiving literally tens of millions of dollars to promote climate alarmism. They get this from leftist think tanks who are giving this money specifically for, quote, climate change coverage. And when you give them that money for climate change coverage in your leftist think tank, you know what that means. If you want to keep the free money rolling in at Associated Press and Reuters and others, you better be drumming up a climate crisis. So, no, this is not the objective media of our parents' days. This is 2023, and it's propaganda first. All right, folks, James Taylor is our guest. He's with us for another segment or two, and I want to definitely uh, jump into this and a lot more. Uh, check them out at heartland.org. Heartland.org is the website. We're coming right back with your calls and more. If you have a question, feel free to chime in anytime. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. 
We'll be right back. talk with me about a, a term they've coined called climate anxiety, right? Which is fear of, of, of the future and the unknown, of whether it makes sense for you to even think about having children, whether it makes sense for you to think about aspiring to buy a home, because yep. what will this climate be? Of course, that is the vice president of the United States, who I like to call Kamala Harris. That's Spanish for how bad she is. And vice president Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, is uh, suggesting that there is climate anxiety, and some people are considering whether they should procreate. Should I even have kids? Because there is global warming or global cooling. I got to tell you, the only anxiety that I have is Biden anxiety. James Taylor, what say you? Well, I think that Kamala Harris needs to look in the mirror because here are the facts. First of all, for most of the time period that human civilization has existed, human civilization sprang up about 6,500 years ago in Samaria. Basically, you have had, for the vast majority of that time, temperatures have been significantly warmer than today. It's not disputed. It's in the United Nations climate reports. So how can you have a climate crisis caused by global warming when temperatures are unusually cool? Moreover, when you look at extreme weather events, whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, floods, yeah, they still occur. Climate change won't make them go away. But we have objective data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and others showing that in each and every one of these extreme weather events, plus whatever else they throw out there, there is either no change in recent decades or there has been a lessening of the frequency and severity. So if people are getting themselves all worked up, not wanting to have children, having climate anxiety, the cause isn't climate change. The cause is climate hucksters like Kamala Harris. I agree with that 100 percent. And I think, you know, while there's a lot of um, demagoguery that goes into politics, this one I think is very egregious because it's so innocuous to so many people that you could see this starting as early as kindergarten, first grade, where they're saying, you know, got to take care of the planet. It's Earth Day. It's this day. It's that whatever day. And before you know it, by the time they're in sixth grade, you've got an army of climate activists that believe everything they're being told, that think they're not going to have children anymore. You couple that with some of the other woke craziness that we have with regards to gender, and you're literally changing the fabric of, of the American generation, uh, of the American future for generations to come, James Taylor. Right, and I'll give you an example here. Just in this past week, when uh, Hurricane Lee, I believe it was, was turning off the east coast of the United States, came nowhere near New England. Nevertheless, you had the Associated Press, USA Today, and many others in the media uh, publishing articles with titles such as New England hurricanes have been rare, but that's changing with climate change. And they point to Lee, which didn't even hit New England. But I went to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's webpage where they document, track, and chart all the hurricanes going back to 1851 when we started tracking them. And looking at New England, what we see by NOAA's own data 
is that hurricanes used to be far more frequent and far more severe 50, 100, 150 years ago. So a hurricane comes near New England. And by the way, we're in the second longest period in recorded history without a New England hurricane strike. When one comes near New England, they make it sound like climate change is to blame, when in fact we can thank climate change for the fact that hurricanes are becoming less frequent and severe in New England and across and across the globe. And that's largely because with warming temperatures, you get more upper atmosphere wind shear, which tears hurricanes apart. We know that for a scientific fact. Now, we, we see so much of the data that comes out that refutes so much of what we hear from those in the climate change movement. And again, I'm not saying that climate doesn't change. Obviously, it gets cooler and it gets warmer. But what they're talking about that, you know, you have ocean temperatures that are rising or levels that are, are decreasing or whatever it may be. This stuff isn't a catastrophe waiting to happen. Yet they push that agenda and they fund the scientific research to get the results that they want. Why is it that the actual information like that you're citing from, why does that get drowned out as much as it does? Well, it gets drowned out because there's uh, plenty of people in this debate who have a financial stake in the outcome. If you work for the federal government, whether you're a scientist or not, if you work for the federal government and your job is dependent upon the perpetuation of a climate crisis, well, then you're going to make those claims. When the climate crisis goes away, 90% of the people in the federal government who get their money off of climate change, their jobs will disappear. So what you have is spokesperson for, spokespersons for NOAA or NASA, rather than citing actual data, actual facts to back up their claims like I just did, instead they make conclusory statements or they'll take one anecdote, because hurricanes still will occur, even with climate change, even if they're becoming less frequent and severe, when one pops up, you highlight it, you emphasize it, you sensationalize it, and you don't have a media that's calling them out on, on the topic. Back 20 years ago, when I first started working for the Heartland Institute, we would have the media that would ask us, okay, well, what's your perspective? And they'd quote it. And what happened is the climate activists lost their mind. How dare you act like there's an equal level playing field of voices on this topic? So now the mainstream media won't even fact check or ask anybody else what's going on for the actual facts. Folks, we're on with James Taylor. He's president of the Heartland Institute. Heartland.org is the website. Give them a check it out when you get a chance. And uh, straight ahead, I want to get into the latest coming out of California, where they're saying, we've got to sue this one, we've got to sue that one, and they're pointing fingers. It's the uh, oil companies. It's their fault, and this is why we're suing them, because they knew. Anyway, we're going to get into that and more straight ahead. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. At night with Rich Valdez. Call now 833 4Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. So, Mr. Attorney General, help us understand your most powerful piece of evidence that you believe 
shows will show in court the company executives specifically knew that they were doing things that would cause this damage and that they suppressed it. 50, 60, 70 years ago, we have internal memos, internal speeches, industry commissioned studies, uh, notes on uh, memos, their words, not mine, take their own words for it, where other. they say, yeah, they're talking internally, privately. They're acknowledging climate change. They're acknowledging the damage to the environment. They're acknowledging the extreme weather that will come. They predicted with terrifying certainty yeah. exactly where we are today, and they hit it, and they lied to the people. The people shouldn't be lied to. That is the Attorney General of the State of California, Rob Bonta. He was on with Poppy Harlow on CNN saying, look, these oil companies knew that what they were doing was going to cause climate change, and we're suing them because they lied to us about it. Oh, my goodness. Our guest is the president of the Heartland Institute, James Taylor. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I think that uh, Mr. Bonta ought to sue himself and his own government. The Na uh, excuse me, NASA satellites have been measuring the amount of lands burned by wildfires globally since 1998. What they report on their own webpage is that wildfires have declined by 24 percent. That's a substantial amount in that time period. California is about the only place in the world where you have more wildfires than in the past. And the reason is government owns half the land in California, and they have shut down and dug up the roads that firefighters used to use to get to wildfires to put them out. They've stopped actively managing their forests like private individuals do with their own lands. And here you have the reason why California is essentially the only place in the world with an increase in wildfires. It's not because Mother Nature is conspiring against California, nor are the oil companies. It's because of your own failed management policies. Look in the mirror and sue yourself. Good point. And, you know, I think it's it's crazy, and I don't know where this goes in court. You know, I, I'm not an expert in legal analysis, but it, it seems really out there that they're going to be able to prove that these that Chevron, ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, Shell, and BP uh, were were somehow complicit in a conspiracy to create climate change or willingly knew that this would cause these atmospheric changes and whatnot. I just, I don't see how it happens, but I could see them finding scientists to back up his claims. And do you think this case goes anywhere? Well, not if we have an objective justice is blind uh, case here. In the 1950s, that's before my time. Uh, but what we do know is that we have not seen an increase. In fact, we've seen a decrease in extreme weather events. And now if you look at, I don't know, name whatever your oil company, Chevron, Exxon, whatever, you've got thousands and thousands of employees. I don't know, they might be able to dig up one or two people, who knows, maybe even a handful of people that believe in some climate crisis. That doesn't mean, therefore, the entire company knew it, was convinced of it, thought it was right. And if they did think it was right, well, then they were wrong because the data says just the opposite. Again, we can look at California and wildfires as an example. Now, James Taylor, um, the work that you guys do at the Heartland Institute is very important because people need options, right? I, I think I'm, I'm a big believer in disagreeing, and I think if people want to disagree with me, that's great. I'll tell you where I get my facts. You tell me where you get yours, and we can compare notes. And I, I feel like the media has a monopoly on the information that, that they put out on climate change. Uh, but your organization does a lot of important work. Tell us about some of the work that you're working on. Well, we advocate for freedom uh, on all issues across the political spectrum, but we're most known for fighting the notion of a climate crisis. Uh, so you can go to heartland.org and see our work. And specific to climate change, 
you can go to two websites that are very good that we put that we uh, publish. One is climateataglance.com. There you get concise, compelling summaries of the 30 most important topics that people talk about. It could be hurricanes, it can be droughts, it can be coral reefs. You get a concise summary of the science with links to the science telling you the truth. And the other one is climaterealism.com. At climaterealism.com, we have a daily debunking of whatever the media climate story of the day is. So, for example, I mentioned uh, earlier the hurricanes in New England. Um, hurricanes in New England have become you know, less frequent, less severe. So we published when the media started their started publishing their stories claiming the opposite. We showed the science from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We do this every day so you can get the truth from what you hear on CNN or ABC News or whatever else. Outstanding work at the Heartland Institute. Uh, check them out at heartland.org. Uh, James Taylor, let everybody know how they could follow you on social media. Well, on social media, we're active on Facebook. We're active on Twitter. Um, pretty much anywhere that you have it, you can find it. And also, we do our own video casts and podcasts. If you go to heartland.org, you can get links to each of those. Folks, check them out. Listen to what they have to say. I think it's valuable information. You'll be that much more informed. James Taylor, I want to thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. You bet. Have a great night. Folks, we continue with your calls and more on the news of the day and everything else that you want to talk about. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I want to get to immigration at the top of the hour. There's a lot of news on immigration. The Biden administration is now going to issue work authorizations to half a million Venezuelans that are uh, what they call asylum seekers. We're going to get to that momentarily. But first, I want to put a pin in what I was discussing before with the hearing on Merrick Garland today, Attorney General Merrick Garland. And Merrick Garland, uh, you know, he's, I don't know, very um, pompous. He's very holier than thou. He's he's a real, um, well, I probably can't say it on the radio. But where I come from in Spanish, we call him a pendejo. That I can say. And I will tell you that it's just shameful to see how he responds to things. But he, every now and again, he'll get a member of Congress that's very sympathetic to him that will go ahead and uh, fluff up his ego and trash the other side. And none other than Eric Swalwell, you remember him, they call him Fang Fang because he was um, doing things he shouldn't have been doing with a Chinese spy named Fang Fang. And Eric Swalwell today at the hearing says, you know, we believe in governing. It's the Republicans that believe in ruling. Listen to this. There's no credibility on that side. Mr. Attorney General, you are serious. They are not. You are decent. They are not. You are fair. 
They are not. So I welcome. Seriously stupid, right? Seriously false, seriously phony, and seriously fraudulent. Go ahead. You to the law firm of Insurrection LLP, where they work every single day on behalf of one client, Donald Trump. And they do that at the expense of millions of Americans who need the government to stay open, who want their kids safe in their schools, and would like to see Ukraine stay in the fight so that we don't help Russia. That's the expense that this nonsense, this clown show, I'd call it a clown show, except they actually have real responsibilities that affect real Americans. It's the difference between one side that believes in governing and one side that believes in ruling. That's Representative Eric Swalwell. He's a clown show in and of himself. But I'm glad there are people out there that are really telling the truth. And again, Representative Jeff Van Drew he, uh, he let the AG have it today, as did many other members of Congress, and rightfully so, because Garland shouldn't get a pass on this, even though he literally is above the law because he is the law. He's the attorney general of the United States, the top lawyer, uh, but he shouldn't get a pass. And Van Drew gave him a piece of his mind today. Listen to this. You know, following your confirmation, Americans were promised they were getting a focused nonpartisan to lead their federal law enforcement. I had my doubts back then. And the last two years have more than confirmed, in my mind, those fears. Never in my life would I have thought that I would see such a politicized DOJ. Never in my life would I have thought I would see such a Department of Justice that didn't obey their own rules. Never in my life did I think I would see the egregious investigations conducted under your, under your watch or the blatant disregard of the First Amendment by FBI field offices under your watch. And never in my life did I think I would see our great DOJ turn to a, into a politicized weapon to be wielded by an investigation to attack political rivals. I still hold the thousands of hardworking staff with high regard, but unfortunately there are some within the department, in my mind, who have betrayed their oaths. And for that, you must be held accountable. I hold you accountable for the labeling of parents as domestic terrorists standing up for the, their proper education of their own children. I hold you accountable for the anti-Catholic memo. Imagine sending agents undercover into Roman Catholic churches because they were supposedly domestic terrorists. And I hold you accountable for unleashing a special counsel with a history of botched investigations on our current president's political rival. The department of, under your leadership, I am sorry to say, and I am sorry to say, has become an enforcement arm of the Democratic National Committee. If there is a perceived threat to the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, this DOJ attacks every single time. But when there are actionable threats against conservatives, this DOJ stays put. Protesters outside, violent protesters outside the Supreme Court, justices' home, unpunished. Attacks on pro-life centers, unpunished. The two-tiered system of justice is clear, and it's clear to the American public. And the buck stops with the man in charge. That man is you. The actions of the DOJ are on you. The decline of Americans' trust in our federal law enforcement is on you. The political weaponization of the DOJ is on you. The political weaponization of government in particular, the Department of Justice is on Merrick Garland and Joe El Maboso Biden. 
I think that they should all be impeached. I'm grateful for the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. We have to find out where the facts go. We need to take seriously an impeachment inquiry into Attorney General Merrick Garland. What's happening right now in America, this isn't because I disagree with them politically. Anybody who did this should be held accountable. This is crazy. The fact that the Department of Justice is pretty much exclusively in these high-profile cases going after Republicans. Now, some of you will say, but that's because rich Republicans are evil, bad, dangerous people, and we have to go after them. I'd say, and is there not an evil, bad, dangerous Democrat out there? Come on, don't be so gullible. These guys are up to no good, and they're taking you for a sucker. I'm not having it. Folks, stick around. Open Phone America is coming up next. We're going to get to your calls and more. Lots to discuss. Immigration's running amok, and I want to get your opinions on that. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? It's our number three Wednesday night edition of the America at Night program with me, Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez with an S. Our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337. This is the third hour of the program. We call it Open Phone America, and that's where the phones are open for everybody across the country to join the conversation. I'm looking forward to speaking with you, and there's a couple of things I want to talk about. When it comes to immigration, I mentioned earlier, here is the story. Let me see. Let me pull it up right here. The Biden administration is offering nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants a legal status and work permits following uh, demands from strained cities. Listen to this. The Biden administration offered nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants in the U.S. the ability to live and work in the country legally, approving a longstanding request from cities struggling to house asylum seekers. The Department of Homeland Security expanded or redesignated the Temporary Protected Status Program, known as TPS, for Venezuelan migrants, allowing recent arrivals to apply for the program. Now, this is really interesting stuff. What they get is deportation protection and work permits offered by this particular policy. Fascinating, right? So previously, only Venezuelans who arrived in the U.S. before March of 2021 qualified for TPS, which was uh, created by Congress back in 1990. Gives them a temporary safe haven if they're coming from a country like Venezuela where there's a humanitarian crisis, et cetera, et cetera. Armed conflict, natural disaster. Uh, By redesignating Venezuela's TPS program, the Biden administration is rendering the record number of Venezuelans who've reached over the U.S. uh, over the past two years, they're all eligible. They're all all eligible. You've got, uh, let me see here, 472,000 additional Venezuelans are expected to qualify, which already has allowed 242,000 migrants from Venezuela to obtain uh, legal status, according to the Department of Homeland Security. 
So that's where we are. Now, Alejandro Mayorkas, he says, temporary protected status provides individuals already present in the United States with protection from removal when the conditions in their home country prevent their safe return. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said in, the, in a statement earlier that the situation in Venezuela is obviously dire. And he continued saying that uh, whoever arrived on or before July 31st of this year will be allowed in. Now, while the big it's a big number, but this is very similar to the wet foot, dry foot policy that we had in this country for years, which is one that I honestly support. The problem with this one is that we didn't actively recruit anybody to come from Cuba. They made their way. They floated on inner tubes. They went on rafts. They came on jet skis. They risked life and limb to come to this country. And if they had just one wet foot uh, in the water and one dry foot on land, they could apply for this program to, to be in the United States. However, what we have right now is what the Democrats will swear is not an open border, but it is. Now, yesterday I talked about a video I saw where there was 150 uh, men that were coming from China. I mean, so this is not about Hispanics uh, per se. This is not about being anti-immigrant. This is about a country where we have a need, right? A need for a stable economy. And while there are many Americans, many of which are minorities, black Americans, Hispanic Americans, that are out of work, that, that will continue because of the influx of what's in reality cheap labor, right? It's not like they're coming here because there's some big void that they need to fill. I don't know anybody's looking to hire 500,000 people that likely don't speak English. And again, I'm not, I'm not disparaging anybody. I'm, I'm Hispanic. But ultimately, you, you, it's about, everything is about supply and demand. And you can't just go and throw the rule book out the window when it comes to economics and think that we're going to be okay. And we've seen the government do this time and again. They're doing it with inflation. They're doing it with, with the budget now. They're borrowing $2 trillion in order to balance uh, our continuing resolution because we're not even passing a budget. You know, I'd love to see a poll on that. How many Americans know that we haven't passed the federal budget in forever? I'd be really curious. And that's just what's going on with the Venezuelans. Fast forward to um, some cities in Texas that are overwhelmed. And listen to this. One city has gotten more than 11,000 illegal immigrants, which is nearly half the size of the city itself. Listen to this. An unprecedented surge of 4,000 illegal immigrants streamed across the U.S. border with Mexico into Eagle Pass, Texas on Wednesday forcing the already overwhelmed city to declare a state of emergency. The mayor, Rolando Salinas, he said a separate 2,500-person mob crossed the border into the city illegally on Monday, on top of approximately 7,200 other illegal border crossers that were apprehended the previous week. The surge is the largest since 15,000 Haitian uh, illegal immigrants camped out under the bridge in neighboring Del Rio, Texas, nearly two years ago. This incident resorted, uh, re, uh, resulted excuse me, in a major humanitarian crisis. I remember that. I was talking about that on Newsmax one day, and it was very unfortunate. But this is massive. You see these videos. There's just people on top of people on top of people. The majority of them are men, pretty young men, by the way. So I'm guessing they're coming here to work. Others would argue they're coming here to be part of a secret army. And once they have their army then uh, boom, they're taking over the country. I hope that's not the case because I, I don't see it that way.
I wish everybody a shot at the American dream, but not everybody can actually have a shot at the American dream. I'm fortunate to have been born in this country. And and we're all fortunate that our country is so generous in bringing in a, a million immigrants a year. But we're well over that number, and they just keep coming in the border. I mean, I saw a story earlier that uh, the Biden administration admitted to cutting uh, Carcentina wire, the um, the razor wire, the barbed wire that's at the border, to allow them in. Because their own policy said if you come through a legal port of entry, you can apply for your court date through the CBP-1 app. So I guess they're just making more ports of entry by cutting holes in the wall, opening the fence, and uh, now cutting open the barbed wire that's designed to keep people out of our country. So when people say there is no open border, and you go to New York City and you see the, the masses of people that are living on the street from all parts of the world, this is not necessarily people coming from South America. Houston, we've got a problem. So that's uh, on top of, you know, approving 500,000 new work permits and, and uh, legal status. Now we've got this city that only has 22,000 people that's received 11,000 people this week. Unbelievable. Then in something more interesting, you've got a woman who got stuck in an outhouse. Yes, you heard that right. An outhouse. I don't even know who has an outhouse anymore. But she got stuck in the toilet because she dropped her Apple Watch down the toilet. This outhouse was in Michigan. I didn't even know they had outhouses in Michigan. Crazy. Anyway, I want to get to your calls and more. Let's go to uh, Kim in Shields, Michigan, listening to KDKA Online. Kim, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Um, What I'm calling about is... Uh, solution is it about the, the outhouse? When, well, the outhouse, the, if people have places up north in the woods, there are, my grandpa had a cabin that had an outhouse. Um, so it, I just it, honestly you know, didn't know that go, people still had an outhouse anymore, Kim. Not, not in the cities, but like way out, you know, I mean, there's still places that don't have power, but my uncle and aunt had a cabin in the UP, and it, it, they had to have a generator. So, wow. um, but in, anyways, um, what my solution is is to the um, what we're going to do when President Trump gets back in, and how we're going to send all these people back. And it's so simple. It took me uh, a little bit to figure it out. But where did they come from? All these seven plus million came through the southern border of our country. Yeah, um, we send them. We send them back when President Trump gets in. It, that may, you know, take a while if we take them a hundred, two hundred, three hundred at a time. Um, but how the bargaining chip? How we get Mexico to take them back? And then once they get these, well, at that time, they'll probably be 10 million illegals to send back. But once we send them back into Mexico, they can do whatever they want with them. If they want to adopt all these people from all over the world, these will be probably 10 million. Well, the reality is they're not even coming from Mexico. They're just coming through Mexico. You've got people coming from um, the continent of Africa, people coming from the continent of Asia. People are coming from all over the world. Yeah, and this is my I, this is my bargaining chip. It was the same one that stopped sending them in the first place. We utilize our leverage. We utilize 
I had said about the money transfers and the stopping the commerce, but I had no idea till I looked it up. Mexico produces 16 of every 100 cars sold in the U.S. They produce auto parts, medical equipment, electronics, appliances, medical instruments, precious metals, gems, and in, in, in addition to all the produce they send here. We just put a stop at the border. If they start balking at taking these what will be end up being 10 million people by the time Biden's out of office. If they bought the least little bit, we shut down the border. We let their fruit rot and we let everything until they take every last one of them back. They've got a train called the beast that they start down by Guatemala. It's called a bestio or something like that. It's, it's a train. It's full. Yeah. And they're coming up from near Guatemala close to the our southern border. They're helping these people invade our country. They need to take them back. And like I say, once they're over the Mexican border, then it's their problem. They can keep them or they can figure out a way to send them back to China and Pakistan and everywhere else they came from. You know, well, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, Kim. Uh, the only thing I think is it's been difficult to find and deport people for the last three decades. And this is the largest number that we have. We don't have a very robust border patrol. Matter of fact, yesterday there was an article saying that the border patrol suspended their operations in order to help with the influx, to help bring them in rather than help stop them. Now, I understand with better leadership, we can do that. But this might be an undertaking that may not be possible because you're still going to have sanctuary cities. You're still going to have local law enforcement that may not be on board, irrespective of whoever is president. And it's a a novel idea. But ultimately, I don't know that we can actually get all these people and find them in a legal way and get them out of the country. So the, the key, I think you're right, is to stop them at the border. And the money transfer thing, I think, is a good thing. Uh, that type of embargo would be helpful. I also think that... Um, the, the there was a report that last month China was surpassed by Mexico as the number one trade partner. So with Mexico now being the U.S.'s top trade partner, and again, this is a result of Trump's policy, the USMCA, uh, the, the the trade agreement that he's made with the Mexico-Canada, um, I believe that this is a, a really tough scenario to fix. So deportation in theory sounds good. I just don't know if in practice we're going to be able to pull it off. Kim, great suggestions. I appreciate the call. More on your calls as soon as we come back. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. radio six years in a row it's rich valdez call now 833-4-VALDEZ that's 
4-4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And I wanted to go to a call on Merrick Garland, but I think we lost them. Uh, we're going to go in order that they've called in. Let's go to Pendleton, Oregon, K-U-M-A, and check in with Michael. Michael, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Great talking to you again. Your friend uh, Michael here in Pendleton. We Just a quick note, we got done with our Pendleton Roundup last week. It went very well. Uh, got to meet some of the great American rodeo cowboys, great people, and a great singer. I want to encourage America to listen to her, uh, Carrie Cunningham, great country singer. So I just wanted to put in a plug for them. Um, yeah, Rich, you know, I always have a comment on Ukraine with my girlfriend over there. Um, and, you know, President Biden has always stated he wants Ukraine to win that war. And I know you always have great comments on the Ukraine. Um, do you think we'll ever give Ukraine enough where, in your opinion, they can win that war? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I think we've given Ukraine plenty, although we haven't given them uh, enough, right? So, I mean, we've given them plenty, but we haven't given them the air power that they need. Had they gotten the air power right away, I think we would be in, uh, they'd be in good shape and we'd be out of the picture. Uh, finally, they approved some, um, some American fighter jets. Great. Uh, I think they were F-15s or F-35s. And that's great. It's fantastic. But talking to uh, Brigadier General Blaine Holt, who was the United States deputy representative to NATO the last time he was on, uh, he said, you know, it doesn't really matter that we're sending those because they're not going to get them anytime soon. It's going to take forever and a day because it's part of an exchange. And we have to make sure their pilots are going to be ready to to fly them. And that shouldn't take forever, but it's going to take more time. And in between now and then, he said it looks kind of dire for Ukraine from his perspective. Um, and and I, I, I agree with his um, assessment of that. If you let people out, if you leave them for dead, they're going to die. Now, I, I also agree that the real way to stop this war is not for Ukraine to win, but for the United States to put an end to it. I mean, we have no problem in so many parts of history where we, we go in and we put an end to lots of things, to administrations that we don't like, regimes that we don't like. All we have to do here is just use the leverage, the bully pulpit of, of the Oval Office to say, look, this has got to stop. We have leverage with NATO. We have leverage all over the place. But Biden is too feckless to try and make it happen. And as long as that's the case, Putin's going to be ripped and rearing and ready to go because why not? Right. I mean, we saw that he became very aggressive during the Obama administration. Same reason. Obama was all talking, no action. We saw that he was quiet during the Trump administration. Nothing happened. And then we see Biden come in and now he's back at it with a full on war. So what can we surmise from all of that is that there is no respect for Biden on the world stage. Everybody thinks he's, you know, sleepy Joe, sleepy Joe. And the reality is he is. I mean, he, he Democrats don't like him. Republicans don't like him. Our, our enemies don't like him. Our allies don't like him. Nobody seems to like Joe El Baboso Biden. So this is definitely costing us a bunch. And it does. it's not lost on me that we're giving so much to Ukraine and we're seeing su such poor results. So I don't know that we ever really get to a point where they win. Uh, I do think we have to get to a point where America steps in and says, this has to end and here's why, and use the leverage that we have. 
Michael, thank you for your call. My best to you and uh, your girlfriend in the Ukraine. And folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, so there's a bunch of crazy stories I want to get into, but first I want to go to your calls. I want to go to Santa Barbara, California, KPRL, and check in with Marcy. Marcy, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yeah, uh, Rich, I just wanted to say we don't need to deport. What happened in the 1960s will cure this. All they did is bring back the draft. And the Mexican-American guys here were very disgusted with that because, of course, they did go and, and fight in Vietnam. But a lot of the Mexican or Mexican-Americans left, and they went back across the border by the thousands. And all you have to do is bring back a draft. And I think that um, Americans, anyway, should spend uh, three months of their lives uh, serving their country, whether it's in uh, a military capacity or picking up garbage in the national parks. It just... Uh, you know, makes you um, appreciate your country. And uh, and remember, these other countries have dual citizenship. So they come to our country and they become citizens. Then they go back and often they live in their own country and just have the checks sent back there. That happens a lot, too. We have to look at dual citizenship. Good points. And uh, I, as far as I know, we still have the draft. We just haven't enacted one in a while. And uh, it's it's a brilliant point because... Many people suggest that because there's so many um, young men in particular that are coming across the border from all parts of the world, that this is, um, you know, the the suggestion is that somebody is trying to create or enlarge an army, an army of, of new Americans, if you will, that would be able to um, help do whatever it is that the the bad guys want to do. I don't really subscribe to that because I just I just don't see that being the case. We're working on weakening our own military. Why would we create another one, <laughs> right? Um, I think uh, most Democrats have never liked the military, and uh, they've done everything in their power in every administration that I can think of in recent history. They've done everything they can to, to weaken the military and to reduce the amount of spending that goes into the military. So, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good point that if there were a draft, a lot of people would leave. I think you even see Americans leave because there's a lot of people that just disagree with that notion. So uh, interesting point for sure. I appreciate the call. I hope you'll call back again soon. Uh, big shout out to everybody listening in Santa Barbara, California, KPRL. Thank you, Marcy. And, you know, in addition to this story that I mentioned to you about the woman that got stuck in the outhouse, um, and, and I will get into that in a moment. There's a couple of stories that I mentioned last night that I never got to. And um, and they're really interesting. So but bear with me as I get through them. And again, if you want to chime in on anything, feel free. Uh, I just um, I, I wanted to get into this. But it was conservation officers as well as state police that responded to this woman's cry for help. And they had to use a strap to hoist the woman out 
of danger and into safety because they had removed the toilet in order to get her, you know, unstuck. So uh, the uh, police warned, if you lose an item in an outhouse toilet, do not attempt to venture inside the containment area. <laughs> Serious injuries can occur. And there's some pictures here of the, the outhouse with the toilet removed and with the toilet present. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I can't believe people do things like this. An Apple Watch? Come on. If I lost my phone in there, if I can't reach it, I can't reach it. What are you going to do? You got to get me. That's why we pay insurance. Uh, unbelievable that these things actually happen. Maybe I'll put this out on Twitter so you guys could take a look at it. But it's absolutely crazy to think that this stuff is actually happening. And, uh, and it's happening in Michigan. So go figure. Now, there's another story that I wanted to uh, get into here from yesterday. And this one's interesting. At least it's interesting to me. L- listen to this. A guy in Australia is blaming his wife. Oh, actually her C-section, right? His wife's C-section for making him crack under pressure. He says it ruined his marriage, and now there's a lawsuit. This guy's in Australia, and he filed a massive lawsuit against the hospital after staff encouraged him to watch his wife's C-section, which he says caused him to develop a psychotic illness. His name is Anil Coppola, and uh, he was shot down in the Supreme Court of Victoria and Melbourne, Australia last week after filing this lawsuit seeking a billion dollars in Australian money, which is about 643 million U.S. dollars in damages for psychological injury from the Royal Women's Hospital after they performed his wife's C-section. I mean, just crazy that this is a thing. His wife successfully gave birth via cesarean uh, in the hospital back in 2018. Years later, Mr. Coppola says he came forward and claimed that the hospital and its staff breached their duty of care when they, quote-unquote, encouraged and, quote-unquote, permitted him to watch the delivery, the outlet reported. And again, that's uh, according to a report coming out of Australia. C-sections are relatively common. I think, you know, a lot of women have them, and they deliver their children that way. And uh, I've never heard of anybody, I mean, I've never seen one other than, like, YouTube. My children were both natural, but I I can say that, you know, it's, I guess you can get grossed out by childbirth. I was, and I thought it was a miracle. I thought it was fantastic. It was a beautiful thing. But um, apparently, uh, 32% of births in 2021 were via C-section. And that's according to the CDC. So take that with a grain of salt. So I'm just wondering, anybody here ever have a psychotic illness because they watched a C-section? To me, that's wacko. The whole thing is just crazy. Uh, There was another story coming out of the UK, and I mentioned it yesterday, but I didn't get into it, that there's a breed of dogs that are going to be taken from owners under a new ban in the UK. Some are wondering if it'll actually happen in the US. I'm going to get uh, into a little bit more on that straight ahead. Our number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So pets are under attack right now in the UK, according to this ban. This is a piece in USA Today. Uh, bully breed dogs could be taken from owners under a new UK ban. The question is, will it happen here in the US? Pet owners could be facing a tough road ahead if a certain breed of dog, thanks to a new ban proposed by government officials, takes place. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced on Friday a plan to ban what he calls the American XL bully dog from the UK. Following a series of attacks that have been blamed on the breed, this law could not only make it an offense to own a breed like this uh, or give it to someone or even sell an XL bully, uh, but what they also are giving authorities permission to do is confiscate the animal, even if they do not have a record of aggression. So imagine that. You get an American pit bull that they're calling an American XL bully, and just for having it, they'll come and take your dog. Thank God we don't live in England. Now, while owners uh, would have the opportunity to apply for a court-ordered uh, exemption, they could also be subjected to heavy fines and potential jail time. Sunak called the dogs a danger to our communities. What a clown this guy is. It's like liberty doesn't matter to anybody. And uh, he also shared the rule will go into effect by the end of the year. And there's actually a clip of this guy, but I'm not going to give him any airtime because I think he's uh, I think he's an idiot. Anyway, the act would add the American XL bully breed to an existing list under the Dangerous Dogs Act of 1991, which currently bans pit bull terriers, Japanese Tosa, Dogo Ar, um, Argentino, and the Fila Brasileiro. However, the American XL bully is not a breed recognized by the UK's Kennel Club and has not otherwise been defined as one, meaning officials need to first determine in certain terms what dogs qualify as being part of the breed. According to a statement released by the Secretary of State for Environment and Food in, uh, in the UK, Therese Kofi, the government plans to convene experts to define the American XL bully breed type of dog. This group will include police, canine and veterinary experts, and animal welfare stakeholders. In another statement, she referred to a series of recent attacks, including a deadly attack on Thursday and one earlier in the month involving an 11-year-old girl. Dog attacks are devastating for victims and their families, and it's clear more now than it's ever been that something needs to be done and to stop them so that we can protect the public. That was the end of her statement. And this is why they say they're taking action, decisive action, to ban the American XL bully. Now... I, I don't even know where to start with this. It's a dog, right? It's a dog. It's just like a gun or a car or anything else that you could use to hurt somebody. Now, it's true. Some dogs lose their minds, and those dogs need to be put down. I get that. If a dog is attacking somebody and it's, you know, a, a consistent thing or a really vicious attack where it's not just like self-defense, but this dog is clearly, um, you know, trained to kill or rabid or just super aggressive... You do what you got to do. Um, I don't know how they would quantify this, but I can tell you the only kind of dog I've ever had are pit bulls. Some version of a pit bull mixed with other dogs, but that's the only dog. And they are the sweetest dogs. They're incredible with children. They're incredibly protective of the home. 
Uh, these are just some of their natural qualities. They were bred to be that way. They're muscular. They're strong. But that, that they're, it doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're aggressive per se. I think they're actually big mushes, these dogs. And if they're taught to be aggressive, just like humans, they become more aggressive. I think you can teach um, a chihuahua to be aggressive. And many of them are. Right? I've seen very aggressive Yorkies. I've seen very aggressive cats. Nobody's banning cats. Now, of course, they're going to say, well, Rich, a 150-pound pit bull uh, versus a cat, who do you think wins? Yes, I understand the point. But it doesn't change the fact that you have a right to own a dog. And if you're a responsible dog owner and you clean up after your dog and your dog doesn't attack anybody, why would the government have a right to take away your dog that hasn't done anything? This is where they go too far. I think even banning the dog is too far. It's a dog. If you want to ban tigers, ban tigers, ban lions. Don't ban dogs. I don't know. I guess my version of liberty and their version of liberty are two different things. Some people claim to, to be for liberty. I am. I am for liberty. That's why the kid in, in Texas who uh, they were beating him up for his hair and it was braided. And when it's unbraided, it's potentially too long and violates their policy. Come on. It's a stupid policy. If the kid has his hair up, it's up. If the kid's hair is long when it's down, guess what? It's long when it's down. Is he going to learn any less? Is his hair going to massively disrupt other people from learning? And if anybody wants to call and say, well, you know, I was once in school and the kid in front of me had such long hair that I just couldn't focus. That's your problem. Ask for your seat to be changed. That's not uh, affecting everybody in the class. These things are, in my opinion, they're just straight up out of control. This um, government takeover of everything, hairstyles, dogs, What's next, right? They're saying we can't have gasoline cars. They want to take away gas stoves. You let the government take stuff away, they'll keep taking it away. And you'll have less and less liberty. Straight ahead, I want to talk about liberty with um, Thomas Sowell. Phenomenal, phenomenal economist. He was on uh, the Fox News channel with uh, the great one, Mark Levin. And we're going to touch on that straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. One of my favorite economists ever is Dr. Thomas Sowell. He's from Stanford University, uh, Harvard grad, and he has an amazing story because he transitioned from being an avowed communist to becoming a dedicated conservative. And he did it through his experience in education and working. And he's a phenomenal guy. If you haven't ever read any of his books, you're missing out. But I I've once spoke to him for six or seven minutes on the phone, and it was one of the highlights of my life, honestly. He's, he's just such a brilliant man. And um, he doesn't do many interviews anymore. He's up there in age. But he's got a new book coming out, and he was promoting it with, uh, I think, the only TV outlet he chose for this interview was um, Fox News Channel's Life, Liberty, and Levin, hosted by none other than my mentor, the great one, Mark Levin. 
who's having a book signing, by the way, on Saturday in New Jersey. So if you're in New Jersey, he's going to be at Bookends in um, Ridgewood, New Jersey. you got to get there by 10 a.m. and uh, get your signed copy. But I want to um, bring your attention to the interview that he did, and he did a clip on how we're losing our liberty. Listen to this. Do you see in this country a growing police state? I don't necessarily mean a police state like you'll see in these aggressive fascist or Marxist regimes, but sort of slowly but surely, like you're talking about controlling the language, which controls thought and activity, uh, this massive censorship that judges have now ruled on by this administration. You can see the uh, politicization of the Department of Justice and so forth. Well, let me put it to you this way, a more fine point. Are we a free country today? I remember Mises once saying that Americans talk like Marxists. Are we, are we a free country today, or are we a country on the precipice of losing our freedom? I think the latter. It's hard for me to see uh, just how, how we're going to come out of this, uh, especially uh, when people who are so willing to increase the powers of government don't seem to understand that it doesn't matter for what purpose you gave them that power, uh, which may have been good purposes. Uh, once they have that power, they can use it for whatever they, they, they want. Uh, you know, the, the, the Federal Reserve System was set up, for example, to uh, pre- prevent uh, runaway inflation or, or runaway deflation or, or bank failures. And the, the, the intellectuals were 100% behind that. But the cold fact is that there's been more deflation, as in during the Great Depression, and more inflation for, for, for decades on end, and more bank failures than ever occurred prior to the setting up of the Federal, uh, Federal Reserve System. But the Federal Reserve System, for example, uh, can, can uh, force people to do things they don't want to do just because they have the power to, to hold up what their, what their decisions are. And so the power created for one, one purpose is then used for some different purpose. When FDR took the, the United States off the gold standard, he used the law passed during the First World War to prevent trading with enemy nations. But once the power was there, you could use it for anything you wanted to. So we've got Sowell explaining that when you give up your power, when you give up your liberty in the name of whatever, right, whatever the name of it is, You've given it up, and the government will then use it against you one way or another. We saw this happen during COVID. We saw churches that were silenced. The, the choirs couldn't sing because that would spread COVID, but they were able to have uh, other events. We saw churches being shut down, but restaurants and big box stores were allowed to be open. We've seen so much of this abuse of power, and Part of my mission in life is to try to enlighten as many people as I can. And many of you have already been enlightened. But if there's anything I can ever do to help you stand for liberty, that's what I'm here to do. Anyway, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America, take care, good night, and God bless. We'll be doing it again tomorrow, God willing. I am Rich Valdez. This was America at Night, and we're going to do it again tomorrow. But until then, keep it locked right on this station because there's more programming to come. Take care.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.